I think for me personally, you know, I get out of bed in the morning because I love seeing people progress and enjoy their jobs because we spend five days out of seven working. It's not that great if you don't enjoy it. So if I can help people enjoy that time and get you know, more from their careers, then I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of that. Hey, business friends. Have you been wondering if you're dedicating the right amount of time and resources to your online marketing strategy? This week, we received this question from our listener, Scott. Hey, Jamona. How can I get help with my website's copywriting without spending a fortune? Um, I'm definitely looking to hire somebody. I'm not looking to do it myself. Thanks so much for any advice. If you're in the same situation, then this is your spot. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast by FreshBooks. Today, I'm taking an inside look at the world of digital marketing with Patty Mugen. He's kind of a big deal in the digital marketing space. Patty has over 17 years of experience, and he's co-founder of Era, an award-winning agency based in the UK. Era's story starts in Sin City. Most venture to Vegas for the rampant, regrettable decisions, but Patty had an entirely different experience. Here's how a little bit of liquid courage led to millions of pounds in yearly revenue. Yeah, so the truth is I was actually in Las Vegas at the time when I decided to do it and I was a little bit drunk with my now business partner because it felt like a good idea at the time to talk about starting a business together. After about 30 minutes, we agreed on everything, said what we were going to do and, and that was it. And I think that at that point in my career, I was one of the most senior people at my company. I was reporting into the CEO I loved it. I, you know, it's an amazing job and I loved working for him, but it just felt like the right time to go and try something else. And I wasn't really sure how much further I could go within that particular role that I had, even though I loved it. And it just felt like the right time. So yeah, Vegas and kind of sitting there with a beer might have helped, but the, um, the timing felt right with my career as well. And also even now the Esther industry is still growing and is very, very good for, for jobs and quite plentiful in that regard. So I thought, well, if I don't do well at it, I could just go and try and get a job again. And so I knew I had a bit of protection there. It was a risk, but the industry, there's always jobs around and there's always freelance routes around. So I knew I had that as my fallback if things did go wrong. So you're at the Aria in Las Vegas. You thought we should start a company. We'll call it Era. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you get it off the ground? I'm amazed you made a plan in 30 minutes, but you know, there's having a plan and then there's like getting capital and you all are very successful now. A, what, multi-million pounds in revenue? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. But getting it off the ground, do you think we need to get more partners? Are we bootstrapping? How do you actually launch? Yeah, so it was definitely bootstrapped from the start, um, but we was also quite fortunate. And again, this helped with the risk because my co-founder, now had a very small business at the time which was himself and two other people so probably had a few clients had some revenue coming in it wasn't making millions but it was making enough to keep him happy and so that security was already there and that basis was already there to work from so when I joined and we decided to become four partners there was already some clients there was a couple of staff and that was a really really good foundation to work from which you know I was incredibly lucky to to have that and again kind of thinking about the right partner that made it a very very good proposition for me to think well it's even less risk now because there's an audio business there that I'm joining and helping to build. For Patty and his co-founder Matt Beswick the transition was easy and the agency grew quickly. 
Soon, they reached a point where most founders decide to delineate roles in order to work more efficiently. Well, turns out splitting up responsibilities ended up hurting more than helping. Did you have differentiated roles from the beginning? Not from day one. Uh, We shared a lot of the day-to-day stuff. But after about six months, we did try and split our roles out a little bit. So the way that we looked at it was I was going to try and focus on the the marketing of the agency and the sales and, I guess, the raw strategy. And Matt, my co-founder, was going to focus more on delivery and operations. Honestly, it didn't work for us. We, We just didn't make it work very well. And I think the reason being that because we split out our roles, we didn't actually work together that much the way we had for the first six to nine months or so. And we actually, we did our best work when we were working together to solve a problem or working together to deliver a project or working together to sell a project. So we realised that, yeah, we enjoy working together and we sat down and said, actually, we don't enjoy our jobs as much as we did a few months ago because we're, we're working on our own now. So we actually rolled it back and said, look, We've got enough trust, we know each other well enough to know that we are going to cover everything between us. Let's not force each other into a specific role. And that's how it's been since that point for the last five years or so now. And it's, yeah, mostly works okay. I read a blog that you did about mindset and the way that you make decisions at work and the way that you interact with your team. Talk to me a little bit more about the culture that you've created and how you personally operate within it. It all started really with a very simple idea, and I think this is something we talked about back in Vegas, was the idea that we wanted to build somewhere where if we were employees of that company, we would be happy to work. We want to be treated like adults, grown-ups. We want to be given some freedom to do what we want to do within our roles. Trust is a huge thing with us. So I think that that freedom that we give people and the trust that we give them has played a very important part in in the culture that we've now got and also understanding that people's focus is on their own careers yeah of course we want them to do a great job for us but eventually they're going to move on and work somewhere else so if we can progress their careers during that time that they're with us and help them grow that's always going to help us as a company as well and also mean our clients are happier because if clients have staff working for them who aren't very happy and don't enjoy their jobs they're going to realise, they're going to notice. Um, So we figured that if we focus on making people happy and give them good career progression and help them learn, then that will feed through to our clients and make them happy as well. So, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to those areas. So let's talk about you then. (laughs) What makes you happy? What makes you really happy at work? So I didn't really know the answer to this until probably two to three years ago, so a few years into ERA, and it kind of hit me. I think for me personally, you know, I get out of bed in the morning because I love seeing people progress and enjoy their jobs because we spend five days out of seven working. It's not that great if you don't enjoy it. So if I can help people enjoy that time and get more from their careers, then I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of that. That's beautiful, Patty. (laughs) (laughs) I, I wish there were more leaders that thought that way. Company culture is a huge selling point in the workforce right now, especially for tech companies. But keep in mind that great company culture goes above and beyond casual Fridays. It's all about trust and genuinely taking care of your people. He realized the correlation between his own self-care practices and job performance. And now he encourages his team to explore those same kinds of connections, too. Sometimes you have to make decisions when you're not always in the best 
headspace and you have to design your schedule in a way where you're in the mental state to make the best decisions possible, right? Is there a way that you communicate that to your team or is there a practice that you do personally so that you can get clear on how you're feeling and when you should be making a decision and when you should be sort of booking that in for a later time? Yeah, so I think that I realized that this was an important thing for myself when I realized what my own, I guess, what I call triggers were for being in a not so good mood or being in a very good mood and having self-awareness essentially of what would cause me to maybe be a bit grumpy or be really happy with something. And then when I realised what those things were for myself, I could just try and catch them a little bit uh, and also tell people closest to me that actually if you see me doing this, you probably know I'm not in the best mood or whatever it is. Um, and then I can teach that to other people and get them to think about what what are your triggers, what are the things that you do which show you that, yeah, you're not in the best headspace or you need your own time and space from everyone else to get your head down to get stuff done and I think for me it always comes down to what those triggers are so for example to share one of mine I noticed that if I skip lunch if I go several days without really eating during the day and I forget that I haven't eaten that's actually not a great sign for me because it means I'm I'm probably a bit too busy and a bit too head down that I'm not getting space away from my desk to have something to eat and so therefore I'm probably a bit too busy to be making important decisions when I'm not really eating properly and one of my team if she doesn't go to the gym or work out you know three or four times a week then she hasn't got the right kind of energy to come into work with so for her she realized that actually working out is very very important and normally when she's not in a great mood it's probably because she hasn't worked out that day or didn't work out for a couple of days so it's all about finding those triggers and knowing what they are and having the self-awareness to confront them and see what it means so yeah i try and teach my team those kinds of things it's not it's not easy to reflect upon your own behaviors and how you are but it's important to try and do that i've heard of these magical forget to eat kind of people (laughs) i'm not (laughs) i'm not one of them i don't think i've ever (laughs) forgotten a meal (laughs) sometimes i've had to work through them but i didn't forget I'm starting to get why patty's company tagline is an agency you'll actually enjoy working with I'm sure you've heard the SEO horror stories, but it's not all smoke and mirrors. SEO can work for you if you and your agency know how to allocate resources correctly. Here's the most important question to answer before you go down the rabbit hole. Is SEO the right investment at this time? So if a client comes to us and says, we want SEO, we'll say to them, well, are you sure? You know, what do you do? You know, what, how do you do it? actually content marketing might be better for you or paid media might be better for you and it's a classic mistake that people make where they think you know i want to invest in seo but they need they need results very quickly because they've got um a funding round coming up or they've got some investors who are on their case and applying pressure in those scenarios seo might not be the best thing right now because it's not going to get you instant results so what we try to move towards as an agency is asking questions of the business that allow us to then provide okay, well, you want a little bit of social media, you want a little bit of paid media, you want a little bit of content, and these are priorities that you should focus on first. So we're trying to think less about the services that we offer and think more about, okay, what's the right answer for you right now? And then plugging our services into them rather than saying, oh, you want SEO, you want PPC, you want content, just because that's what we offer, if that makes sense. So we're trying to think less about the services. Next thing to consider. 
SEO takes a hot minute to pay off. How long should our listeners be thinking if they're like, I'm going to invest in my SEO strategy, realistically, how long would that take to really pay off? Traditionally, you think about these things probably yeah, six to 12 months minimum before you start to see the real results. Unless there's something fundamentally wrong with your website that gets fixed you know, tomorrow, you're not going to see a massive uptick within the first couple of months. It's nearly always going to take you know, six months or more because it's more of a, a slow and steady set of improvements, um, particularly if they've already been doing SEO for a long time. There's not really likely to be a silver bullet that just, you know, hockey sticks traffic overnight. It's not like turning on PPC or turning on paid social where you can just turn on the tap and get traffic. It can take a lot longer than that. And when we're speaking to clients, we try and set expectations that this needs to be really a 12, 24, 36-month approach that may not always be with us. It could be with us and then their own team for a long time and then another agency. But as a company the thinking has to be we're in this for years not just a few months because that's going to be what's most effective and it's not something you just do and then it's done you move on it's an ongoing thing that is always changing in light of that how much time do you have in order to make a difference if you need rapid results try this approach a combination of likely to be paid media, so most likely paid search through Google or other search engines or Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff in terms of um, advertising. That's by far the quickest way to get traffic, but that does also depend on the business model because those platforms obviously you know, charge you per click and you've got to pay to get that traffic. So you've got to make sure there's the margin and the scale there to make that give you a return. Um, so that's definitely one of the quickest ways of getting the traffic come through if it makes sense but also looking at what they've already got so for example some companies have very large email lists that are just sat there not really being used and customers who have bought from them before that they're not reactivating or trying to get more value from um over the course of you know a year or two if a customer only buys from you once but could buy from you four or five times then you should be looking at that as well. So it's a combination of, yeah, perhaps pay traffic will give that quick boost, but also what have you already got that you can leverage that you're not leveraging already as well that we try and look for clients. Do you have an email list or a social media presence? Stop counting your followers and start counting your customer. Yeah, and it is hard because we're conditioned to think about the numbers and normally the bigger number, the better especially when it comes to email lists. So the idea that, yes, you're going to reduce the number, not increase it. Yeah, that's a bit jarring. That's a bit difficult. But it's all about the results, right? It's about the engagement. And having a 10,000-person email list doesn't pay the bills on its own. It's having an engaged list of people who then buy from you or take whatever action it is you want to take from you. That's what pays the bills. So because you could go and buy a 10,000-person email list, right? I'm not saying you should, just to make sure that's clear. But if that's what... Yeah, people do it all the time. And it kind of proves that, no, that's not that's not the right approach. So, yeah, it is a bit difficult. And if it's a client that we're speaking to, we understand that is something they might not want to do. So in that case, we may say, well, just do a little bit. So segment your list first and then start to engage with them slowly. So if you've got a 10,000-person email list, pick out the people that you've emailed in the last three months. So start there and then build up and eventually go through all of them rather than trying to do it all at once. That can be a way of overcoming that concern, which is a completely valid concern. And finally, check in with the news every now and then. 
Current events have a big impact on the way you can spread your message online. And you've navigated a lot of changes. You've navigated COVID and then you're also in the UK. Has Brexit affected you and how might it affect you in the future? Um, I don't think anyone really knows, uh, to be honest, over here. Um, but you're a planner. You're planning for the future. So I know you thought about it. <laughs> we definitely thought about it. We've had a lot of conversations, uh, myself and my co-founder, when the when the vote happened and the outcome. We resigned the phone to each other straight away saying, okay, what's this mean? In all honesty, I don't think we'll ever know exactly what it means for us as a company because it's so kind of abstracted away from the day-to-day of what we do. Having said that, we're almost convinced that, you know, around kind of 2016, when this all happened, it did create some nervousness in the industry um, because people didn't know what was happening. People didn't know what it meant. So we think it probably did maybe slow us down a little bit at the time because people just didn't know, so they didn't want to spend money on stuff that they weren't sure what was going to happen. And as time went on, people realised, well, actually, this Brexit thing is going to take some years to actually happen as we know it took you know over four years in the end but even though it has happened and we're officially out of the european union obviously in, in the mix of covid again we'll never know exactly what the effect was but i think the worst it's felt like it's affected us is just that nervousness where people may not have spent as much money on their marketing or people might have held back a little bit from engaging with an agency until they see what happens um, so, yeah, overall, I think it has affected us a little bit, but it's hard to know exactly how much, but more from a probably slowed us down a little bit perspective, not it's hurt us too much. Yeah, that's probably my, I guess, my take on it. So not too worried overall. If you're a business owner, side hustler or dreamer, take a moment to pat yourself on the back. We have all persevered through a lot this year. So whether it's political upheaval, a reckoning on race, or the biggest pandemic in a century, give yourself credit for sticking with it. Here's a recap of what Patty taught us today. It's your company. You get to make the rules. Design the strategy that works best for you, your partners, and your team, even if it's not what the Joneses are doing. Company culture goes beyond corporate perks. SEO can be magical when you allocate the correct resources and have the patience to grow. And most of all, don't forget to eat. I'll conjure up the memory of my Jewish grandmother by saying, honey, you've got to eat. Find more from Patty and make sure you check out his blogs on leadership at era.net. Stay tuned. Later this week, Patty and I will nerd out on the specifics of SEO. Trust me, you don't want to miss this. The I Make a Living podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Balancing your books, client relationships, and business isn't easy. FreshBooks gives you the info and time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Right now, you can go to freshbooks.com slash podcast and take advantage of an exclusive offer that's just for you, our listeners. And while you're at it, check out all the resources that we make available to you through our show notes. Our executive producer is Francisco Erzmendi. Editorial and content producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris, and I am Damona Hoffman, producer and host. Follow me at Damona Hoffman and FreshBooks at FreshBooks on all of the social platforms for more tips, tools, and resources because it's your business. See you on Thursday. <laughs>